The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Thomas Flynn, who is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn. Welcome, everyone. Recently, I attended the National Association of State Chief Information Officers Spring Conference at National Harbor, just outside Washington, D.C. There, I interviewed NACIO officials and state CIO attendees. My next guest was an old and dear friend, Aldona Felicenti, Commissioner and Chief Information Officer for the Lexington Fayette County Urban Government in Kentucky. Aldona has a splendid resume. Prior to her current CIO position in local government, she was CIO for Kentucky in the late 90s and early 2000s, and like me, is a former president of NACIO. And 2019 being the 50th anniversary of NACIO, I began by asking her about her long association with the organization. When we first met, I was actually the CIO for the Commonwealth of Kentucky. I was the first appointed CIO. Oh, I thought that I thought you were probably the first. I knew it was Kentucky. Well, welcome back. I know you, Thank like you. me, were, are a veteran of many of these NACIO conferences. Yes, we are. Each time we go, we, we certainly enjoy the uh, camaraderie with uh, some of our older colleagues and uh, some of our uh, uh, new acquaintances that we meet. It was interesting. Doug Robinson earlier told us, I think there were... 14 new CIOs around the country. Tremendous turnover. You know, as new governors get elected, uh, sometimes there's a new CIO appointed. Yeah, for sure. And with the elevation of the CI role, role, with the elevation of the CIO's role over the years, changing from a data center manager to a much more strategic uh, occupation, uh, with that comes the uh, occurrence of a political appointment, which, like you said often ends up with a, uh, a change yes. come the next administration, yes. particularly if there's a party change. That is correct. Well, you, you, so you have an interesting uh, perspective. Uh, what did you think was the biggest difference from being a state CIO versus a, a local government CIO? I think that if you have the backing of uh, your elected officials and your mayor in a city and you've got the funding, it's really much faster to move and you can implement much faster. But I think that sometimes we talk about citizens at a state level in a rather remote way. I'll tell you, when you're working at the city-county level, it's very real. People see you at the grocery store. They've watched you if they're insomniacs uh, on TV because almost every city has a channel that broadcasts the mayor's meetings, the council meetings, the committee meetings. And I'm there very often, so they know who I am. They know when I stand in the grocery line. And right now, they tap me on the shoulder and want to know when their fiber is coming to their neighborhood. <laughs> Accountability, I love it. Accountability in government. Well, that's interesting. I, I remember just going from Massachusetts to California, and I was asked the question, what's the biggest difference? And I said, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of difference, just everything in California had three or four more zeros well, that at is the correct. end of it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. You know, it's interesting you talk about the fiber. Because I was reading about your Kentucky Wired initiative yes. several years ago yes. to bring fiber optic uh, to fiber optic connectivity throughout the state. Tell yes. us about that. And that is at the state level. That was a state initiative that was in, uh, started uh, by Governor Bashir and uh, Congressman Hal Rogers mm-hmm. because the intent was really to bring fiber to eastern Kentucky. You know, eastern Kentucky has had its ups and downs in terms of the mining industry and very, very few jobs. 
And there's a great belief that having the fiber capability and having that connectivity will, will do it. Now, that project has had its ups and downs. You know, there was a tremendous political change, a political party in Frankfurt. And also, I think that sometimes the funding hasn't always been the way that they thought it was going to work. Now, it's still going on. They're still building. I think it's just going to take them longer. But it is primarily uh, a state-funded uh, initiative, which they hope to sell the ex excess uh, fiber to private investors, ultimately. Mm, but interesting. the city, most of the cities, you know, are on their own. We have to make sure that the fiber uh, is laid for our own perspective. And fiber to the home is really where, what most cities want to do. Is the, is the whole issue of uh, 5G complicating matters, or is it a godsend, or no, don't, I don't know yet? I don't think 5G is, is a godsend yet. You know, 5G standards aren't there yet, won't be there until next year. 5G will demand a much denser uh, pole. In other words, maybe not as tall, maybe not as big. But you know, there's an awful lot of devices on those poles now. Right. And if you look at 5G, ultimately, there is a fiber network that is really necessary to make ultimately 5G work. It's interesting, though, that uh, local governments, as opposed to states, have taken such an active role in this. Because, like you said, it's the cities that seem to be at the forefront of it is of, of, of uh, piloting this, if it you is. will. And and there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, we are a city that has uh, two universities, and uh, one of the things that we want to ensure is that our graduates, who are graduating in the sciences, actually stay in the area and start new companies and start and and progress and be uh, happy and in a, we are in a beautiful environment. But you know what? Um, we also have a signature horse industry. And that horse industry is really depending upon, uh, we do largest horse auctions in the world. It's done out of Lexington and just a little bit north of Lexington. One of uh, those facilities, when the horses are auctioned internationally, believe it or not, 35 25 to 35 x-rays are needed. Yeah, I read that. That's <laughs> fascinating, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And obviously with uh, x-rays, sending them over the wires. Absolutely. you got to have some bandwidth, huh? That's exactly right. But not only that, I think we want to attract those younger companies. They want to they work. They want to attract younger workers. They want to, Lexington is a good place to live. Uh, but I think that they want them the capability to communicate what they're doing, primarily in the IT field, all over the world as necessary. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your infrastructure in the city. Do you uh, have your own data center or is We it have outsourced? a data center. I have a data center, which we are actively working to move some of those applications out of the data center into a cloud environment. Uh, we are in the process of doing that. I've, I've moved about a half a dozen applications already. The intent is that we are now going to struggle, and I think as every data center will, what do we do with the data that is still there, which we are mandated to keep, either by law or uh, for some uh, uh, reasons. For instance, uh, many, many things sometimes are contested, you know, pension plans and whatnot. So we actually have to work with law to see how much of that data needs to be maintained. Ultimately, it doesn't need to be maintained in a data center. It could be maintained in a cloud environment where it can still be searched as needed. So those are probably some of the bigger issues. Mm -hmm. um, as uh, um, Lexington Fayette is a county, 
Yeah, does the county, does that county, uh, are they the actual provider of a lot of the social service programs like no, in California? We are not. We're not. Actually, we are combined city go county government, which means one mayor, one police force, one of everything. Mm -hmm. The county is really depending on the city for its services. We do that together. Uh, there's one taxing structure, but the social services are centralized in Kentucky. Those come out of Frankfurt. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought it might be just yeah. because of the size. Um, we were talking earlier about your... Uh, uh, case management systems yes. and uh, yes. the newer the, the newer technologies yep. that have come on the scene in the last few years. Tell well, us about that initiative. Well, you know, one of the things that Kentucky has always been very proud of, it's our 311. In other words, if you if you live or if you pass through or you ride through Kentucky, you really don't need to know any phone numbers for the city services. All you need to know is 311. We don't have a city phone number. Yeah, the mayor has got a phone number. You can call and ask for the mayor's office. But 311 will connect you with any employee. 311 will take a, uh, something if you says, I've got a pothole in my neighborhood that needs to be filled, or you missed picking up my garbage, or the leaves need to be raked when it gets to the fall. They will take that message. They will transfer that demand then to the right organization, and that organization will fulfill it. Well, that was a homegrown system, and it lasted for 20-some years. We made it prettier. We put a new face on it. But you know what? It still didn't have the function. So we have now implemented a Salesforce platform configured it for a 311 application, which is based on GIS, geographic data. So when somebody calls and gives us an address, we know exactly where that is. Or if it's a park situation and something is broken, and then that, that email then is sent directly to that department once that has been entered into the system. And should the citizen want us to give them feedback, if they give us their email, we will actually send an email back to them. And I bet there's wonderful analytics that come out of the <laughs> there system, There will be, right? and we've just beginning to use that system, so there's analytics. And we have now used that same platform to implement a code enforcement database. Okay. Where people go in and see abandoned buildings or there was a complaint about a building and they do code enforcement. Well, it's fascinating. I'm really yes. glad you had an opportunity to Thank join you. us, Eldona. Thank you very much. It must, uh, I think it would be very enjoyable to go from a state to a, a smaller environment, but more accountable with your, your neighbors or your, their, or your, uh, the citizens that are served. You see well, immediate results. Yeah, Thank you. you do. Well, Thank thanks you. Thanks for being here. We'll take a short break now. You were listening to my earlier interview with Aldona Felicenti, Commissioner and CIO for the Lexington Fayette County Urban Government in Kentucky. We'll be right back in a moment with interviews with other guests from the NACIO Spring Conference at National Harbor. You're listening to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn. Welcome back to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn. You're listening to interviews with attendees at the recent National Association of State Chief Information Officers Spring Conference at National Harbor. Saving the best for last, my next guest was James Collins, Chief Information Officer for Delaware and current president of NACIO. Being NACIO's 50th anniversary, of course I asked him about how he thought the conference was proceeding. We've got a great turnout, over 600 people here, uh, 48 states and, and two territories represented here, so great representation, over 160 uh, vendors. Uh, president, so I'm sorry, that, that number's correct. That's our 
That number's incorrect. So uh, we, we have can do it. We can do it again. All right. So uh, so we have a hundred and yeah. Can we start again? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Are you happy with the conference? I am happy with the conference. I mean, the, it's all about collaboration, and so we've got over six hundred people here, uh, including representation from forty-eight states and and two territories. So I mean, all the ingredients are there for a great collaboration. How did you like the keynote? I, you know, speaking of collaboration, I thought the keynote was very, uh, as I said in my comments, therapeutic, uh, and and I thought it was insightful. Uh, we, you know, technology affords us, you know, the ability to do collaboration in an unprecedented way. But I think he really highlighted some keys and illustrated the fact that in some instances we're just doing it wrong, mm-hmm. not having the right people at the table, not having a table to put people around, and not really set any expectation as people are coming into the process of why they're there. So I'm going to take those back and look at how we're doing things and see how we can weave that into our culture. Yeah, I, it's certainly the, the idea of uh, collaboration or bringing people into the program to uh, bring their insights into solving problems collaboratively is certainly a, uh, uh, a worthy goal, if, if you will. Uh, it, probably sometimes it's harder than it sounds, but the intention is very, very good. And certainly we've all learned we can, everybody puts their head together. You know, it seems like we get the job done better than we do otherwise. Uh, sometimes it's difficult to get everybody on the same page, but uh, that's where the leadership comes in, too, from a CIO. And as we talked about a few months ago, the CIO, in terms of their relationship with the governor, the executive champion, and also the fact that they have operational responsibilities and a big budget, uh, I think that helps in the, in the in leading the collaborative way, if you will. What's uh, what's next in the conference you're uh, looking forward to? So tonight we have our uh, premier reception for some of our key sponsors and, and uh, CEO CIOs will be. Um, going off-site to have a smaller meeting with them to and past uh, presidents to, to talk and, and past <laughs> presidents will be joining us, which you know very well. Being a uh, past president, I always uh, tell people. Uh, you, people say, you know, you look really tall because I'm standing on the shoulders of uh, of the ones that have gone uh, before me. And uh, and I said, I want to commit to you that we're going to continue to build on the work that uh, was started so many years ago. And I should mention. This is our 50th anniversary. I was going to ask you about um, that. I, you know, I got to like, you know, keep plugging that in because this whole year is about we've been around for 50 years. And, and I think that uh, this organization has really uh, driven innovation uh, across our nation. And, uh, and, and we're going to talk about the past a little bit, but we're also going to look forward um, in this conference as well as the one our annual conference coming up uh, in October. But so we've got uh, the reception tonight, and then we've got some really uh, creative sessions uh, planned uh, around the things that uh, all of us are working on, uh, whether it comes to uh, provisioning uh, workloads in the cloud and how we're gonna how we're gonna do that, uh, human-centered design, and just real. Um, Real-world examples of uh, partnerships that are already yeah. Existing. You mentioned that last night at the uh, the corporate meeting, and uh, and again this morning uh, in your opening remarks, and that truly is a big difference for NASIO having the uh, members, if you will, member organizations, the states, uh, doing presentations with vendors that they've co- collaborated with to make a, a real difference in the way they serve the citizens of their state. Talk a little bit about that, the background of that decision, and. And what do you want everybody to get out of it? 
Yeah, you know, I think it's a real acknowledgement of how things are actually working out on the ground. Uh, and I said this when I met with the, the corporate, uh, at the corporate member exchange, that, you know, as state CIOs and, and state uh, IT organizations, we don't manufacture hardware. We don't uh, create operating systems or cloud systems to be, to be used across our enterprise. So were it not for the partnerships that we have with uh, our vendors, uh, we wouldn't be able to complete our mission. And so it, it, to me, it's just admitting what's happening on the ground that there's some partnerships between central IT, the, the specific agencies that are charged with delivering services to the citizens, and the vendor partners. And when you put all of those things together, that's when we have a solution. So, you know, part of that is just kind of highlighting the contributions that the vendor partners are making to the advancement of technology and innovation within the states. Uh, but uh, on it is also um, kind of a, a glimpse into the future of if we're really, as NACIO, talking about CIOs becoming broker of services, um, it really is just highlighting examples that I can see what's going on in Idaho and say, hey, they've already solved this problem, mm -hmm. so we're going to tap into that solution instead of starting from scratch. I know. It's a wonderful idea. It seems like we should have done something a long, a long time ago along these lines. Well, you've been president for half a year, so... Is it pretty much what you expected, or are you getting a getting a, a new side of life every week? It, um, you know, it, it's been great to one. It's it's a real honor to just represent my colleagues. Uh, I've been in front of uh, the staff for uh, Senate, you know, oversight committees. I've met with uh, the GAO. I've met with NGA. Uh, we've. Uh, been engaging with professional organizations of some of the other state agencies that we serve to kind of try to find some uh, points of uh, collaboration and where we have some common interests that we can work together. Because uh, frankly, I, I believe that if the central IT is not working with uh, the agency partners, um, it's clearly going to hold the state states back. But when we work together, um, you know, anything is, is possible. Case in point, I got a chance to speak at the National Governors Association winter meeting and uh, had a chance to bring our elections commissioner with, with me. We were both invited to come and talk about the collaboration that we have around election security. So what I love about uh, our elections commissioner is that uh, her and her team are just very thorough in the elections process as they need to be. But they've made a conscious decision that they're not going to try to to be thorough in all the intricacies of elections and become cybersecurity experts. So they've partnered with us, Safety and Homeland Security, and the National Guard to ensure that Delaware's election system is secure um, and that it's it's delivering true and accurate results. What's the and National Guard's role? So the National Guard, we, you know, I've actually invited the National Guard in. They've done things like uh, penetration testing for us. They've come in and reviewed our security practices. Um, they've taken a look at some of our logs and compared it to some of the information that mm -hmm. they have access to. Uh, and them and the Safety and Homeland Security really looked at, you know, a lot of people don't know that 
a big part of the security strategy for elections is the physical security, um, the the chain of custody of all of the equipment and mm-hmm. the peripherals and the information. Oh, yeah. and so they looked at the physical security as well. Yeah, it's interesting. It's uh, what a coincidence. I didn't realize I actually interviewed the adjutant general of the California National Guard out in San Sacramento last year, General Beavers, and. They have a in their, in security. You've got the you got the state CISO Peter Lan- Liebert, and then you have the CHP, and you have the the National Guard. And what they do is the the National Guard does that penetration testing and network testing and all that. CHP does the investigation when they find a problem, find fraud or or any kind of breach like that. And of course, the state CIO's office is part of compliance. A lot of paper shuffling, but they, with the, the troika that they have, it really works out successfully. Mm-hmm. I was curious if there were any other National Guards in doing that. Is that something you've heard in other states? Yes. I, I mean, every state doesn't. I mean, I think Delaware is fortunate. Our National Guard has a cyber squadron mm-hmm. um, that, that has a focus on that work. I don't think every state does, so yeah. I think we're fortunate in that regard. But the the cyber squadrons that are a part of the Guard, I know that they partner with some states that don't as well to offer mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. of those services. Yeah. So, uh, I heard in that meeting at the NGA that there certainly were uh, other states that were um, engaging the National Guard yeah. around makes election sense. security. It really makes sense. And another, maybe another uh, avenue for a workforce uh, in the future. Well, listen, uh, James, thank you very much for your time. I know as a former president myself, uh, you don't have a lot of it when you're at these <laughs> conferences. So thank you for taking time to come and speak with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for being here to get the word out about uh, what's going on with NACIO yeah. and our members. And with that, we'll have to conclude our program today. You are listening to my interview with James Collins, CIO for Delaware and current president of NACIO at the recent National Association of State Chief Information Officers Spring Conference at National Harbor. Thank you for listening. Content from this state and local program, which also includes curated news and original articles by yours truly and other more esteemed authors, is part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. Hope you can join us again each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. I'm John Thomas Flynn. You've been listening to Ask the CIO, Sled Edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.